Hi, Miss Jessica. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm looking forward to hearing about your job as a regional security, security advisor and your past career as an FBI agent. But before we get into the career, we're going to talk a little bit about young you. Mm-hmm. So what were you like when you were 13? Oh my gosh, I don't even know. I was very... I mean, I think I had, I remember in terms of thinking like about jobs, I, I wanted to do lots of wild different things. Like I was interested in, in marine life, maybe being marine biologist. I really wanted to get my pilot's license and go be a bush pilot in Alaska for a long time. I don't know that I definitely, I felt like I didn't know much about the world, right? I feel very, when I look back on myself, I know I was very unform, unformed at 13, right? Yeah. And As most 13-year-olds are. That is true, that is true. And so I, I, remember, I remember sort of not, you know, having things I wanted to do that I didn't always do because I didn't have the confidence to do them. Like I think back, I, I should have just done things. Like I remember I kind of wanted to be a pitcher when I was playing softball, but I didn't, do it. There was something that held me back from saying to the coach, hey, I really want to try pitching. And so I think back on 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 those times is maybe not advocating for myself as maybe I, as much as I should have. What about school? Were there any like classes you enjoyed or particularly I'm, hated? Right. No, I don't remember really hating anything. I loved, I loved chorus. I sang a lot. Random courses, like when I remember getting into high school, like accounting, I found like super helpful. Like now we we took typing class, which of course now everyone grows up, you know, on the computers, they know how to type, they learn how to type early, but that was just such a great skill to learn at the time. A lot of people didn't. And so they spent the rest of their adult years just hunting and pecking across (laughs) the keyboard. And what I loved about high school was you could take a random class and love it. Like I took a drafting class you know, where you kind of like a pre-architecture class. And I loved it. And I loved the idea that in high school and then even in college, you can experiment into all these areas and you just don't know what you're gonna be good at. And so I've always really encouraged people to try lots of different things, even things that are way out of your wheelhouse, because you never know what you're gonna be good at and what you're actually gonna enjoy. And so it's a great time for experimentation. A lot of people have said that. Surprisingly, at least surprisingly to me, for as a 13 year old, I've always thought like going into high school is going to be like class, 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 just like every other school so right. far. Well, it's fun in high school. I'm, I'm impressed. I mean, my son goes to a big high school and he has so many, like he has his core curriculum, but he's got so many elective to choose from art, all kinds of art classes, you know just everything. And so I say, go try lots of different things because do well in your core classes, but experiment and play around because you might just find something that you love and you, they didn't know about. What were a few of the things that you experimented in that, like, I don't know, that you learned skills in or that you, whatever you learned in it, it's like very important in your day-to-day life or in your current career? Hmm. I think, I don't feel like I learned anything in high school necessarily. Or college. That, yeah, or college. I mean, I think the things that I think about that are success in, in life and work are learning, uh, like, you know, hard work seems kind of cliche, but really following through on things. Like when you say you're going to do something, kind of doing it. Or even if you can't do it, to be circling back with that person. You know, when you go out into the world, people want dependable people. And I think I've been surprised how many people aren't. You know, I think about working in the FBI, there's a very high standard for coming in. And 
then you work for 20 years amongst people who have very high standards for for work ethic, for getting the job done, for having it be quality work. And it's kind of fascinating to go out back out into the world and you know see that there's actually this huge range and you can understand more why people might have trouble finding good help or or good employees because that that diligence of work ethic is not necessarily in every person so i think i think that's important i think being curious throughout your life helps you because when you're in a job if you're curious you're going to you're going to try this this new thing that you're trying to do for your boss and then all of a sudden you're the person that goes the extra mile to work a little bit extra harder to 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 try something new to solve a problem so being curious is just such a a valuable skill set that i think i think i've always been curious i've always had lots of hobbies and been interested in lots of things even if i didn't become a painter i was i was interested in it and i explored it and I think being curious allows you to be a better problem solver as you get older into the into the workforce and life. Yeah, and life. Dialing back a little bit into college. So like, I don't know, how did you choose your college? I chose my college. I went to Tulane University in New Orleans and I'd never heard of it. I grew up in New Hampshire and so like Louisiana was just like a billion years away, you know, just forever away. And, but we had a friend of the family who'd said, hey, you should look at Tulane. I was like, I never heard of the school. And back then, I, I could, you could research a little bit, watch the movie with Dennis Quaid called The Big Easy. And I was like, that place looks fun. And it had the program. I wanted to study anthropology from a, a random factoid that I learned in history class in high school. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. So I was interested in anthropology and went down and visited. And I, I think ultimately I went there because they gave me merit money, right? They gave me scholarship money that allowed my family to pay for it. I was also super excited to go somewhere new. And I think college is a phenomenal time to go somewhere else from where you grew up. You don't have to worry about taxes. You don't have to worry about you know, em, un, you know, employment rates in that town or in that state. Go somewhere new. The world is so big, and so that's part of being curious, right? Be curious about other places, and so it was a school that gave me money to be able to go. It had the program I want, and it was a new place that I could that I could explore. It's kind of funny because a lot of people have said something kind of is separate from that, like they went to somewhere close to their hometown because they wanted to be separate from their family, but they still wanted to be like close yeah. to the where they grew up and all that so yeah it's very interesting to see like that side of things right and I would say I would just add too, like my son is just going through his college process and there's so much pressure on people like it doesn't really matter where you go go somewhere work hard do well and you're gonna do fine in life so you said you went in for anthropology what is that so anthropology is a study of kind of human development through culture and time. And so there's four branches. There's physical anthropology, which is the study of your bone structure, like how humans evolved, you know, physically. There's cultural, like how they lived as groups, you know, now and in ancient times. There's linguistics, which is how speech has changed over time. And there's a fourth, which I totally can't remember right now. Oh, archaeology, right? So the digging out of, you know, the physical digging out of spaces. And so I was in a class in high school history or social studies, and they we read an article about a man who had dug up 
the Battle of Custer and where Custer had died and this, this, this battle between, you know, probably the government at the time and, and some Native American populations. And Sid so was like, oh, no, this battle went all different, like reinterpreted the whole thing and was like, no, this didn't happen the way we all think it did. And it was it's all this article about forensic anthropology, which is studying bones to figure out how someone died. Because in bones, you can figure out like how that person lived, the kinds of things they ate, but you can also figure out ways that they died. And I was like, that is super interesting. I want to go do that. And so I was in high school and I was like, I want to become a forensic anthropologist. And so I went to college for anthropology and then my life veered sideways. But there was that, it was a thread that I kept through my whole life, but that's what it, that's where it started was just a random article I had to read for school in 10th grade, you know, history class. And that's how all the best things start, yeah, just like it was very completely randomly. Yep. So you said your life veered to the side. What like? So what it was was I was so focused on sort of forensic anthropology, and I went to college and I studied anthropology with a with a concentration in sort of the physical body structure. And then I didn't get into grad school. I knew where I wanted to go to grad school, which was the University of Tennessee, and they have this program for forensic anthropology and they have a body farm where they bury people who donate their bodies to science and animals and they bury them in all different scenarios, deserts and in swamps and in all different places and then they they sort of dig them up at various points so they can study how humans decay at different rates and you can learn when, you know, when maggots go into the body and you can be able to say, oh, this body's been here for three days or, oh, this body is like totally dried up. This body has been in the desert for a year. So it's a way to figure out how someone died, but I didn't get in. So I didn't do well enough in college and I just didn't get in. And so I, I totally had to kind of take a step back and figure out what I wanted to do. And so I thought about childhood education. And so I kind of worked for a year. And then in that time that I was sort of taking that time off, I learned about the whole field of forensic science, which everybody knows about now, but no one knew back then. So I thought forensics was just anthropology. I didn't know that there was this huge field of forensic science. And so once I learned that, I realized that's what I really liked. I liked the forensic science, like the CSI shows and bones and all that. I didn't so much like the anthropology, which was fine. It was just a, what I learned was I liked the forensics part. And so I went to grad school for forensic science, and that kind of took me on a new path leading me to the FBI. Well, we're going to talk about that path in a second. You said something earlier that like everybody knows all like all the different opportunities in forensic science and stuff, but I mean, I don't know. Mm, that's so true. What yeah. are some so of the I think I was sort of thinking maybe, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe slightly older people that have sort of have seen how many forensic shows have been on. So forensic yeah. science is just this massive field, and basically forensic means pertaining to the law. So anything that's a forensic designation or a forensic determination means you're trying to come to some legal determination for something. So forensic anthropology is looking at a body and trying to figure out how that person died for the police so that they can figure out, okay, what was the, you know, what was the, how did this person die? Were they shot? Did they get hit, whacked over the head? That kind of thing. Forensic accounting means you're an accountant 
but you're doing it for the purposes of trying to find out if a crime was committed. Forensic biology or DNA or fingerprinting, all those are forensic techniques that are used for the purpose of trying to figure out what did that person leave their fingerprints at the crime scene. Forensic tool marks and, and tire treads, like you're examining like if someone used a crowbar to break into a house, that crowbar is going to leave marks on the side of the house, like on the side of the door frame. And you can compare, a forensic scientist would compare a crowbar that a suspect has with the marks on the door and would be able to make a legal determination as to whether that crowbar made those marks on the door. So the field of forensics is accounting, it's psychology. When you are interviewing people, doing a psychological assessment for the purposes of a court process or for a witness preparation or something like that. So there's this huge field of forensic science that, you know, like I said, accounting, there's lots of science sciences, biology, yeah, psychology. So it's this, it's this huge field which people do find really fascinating. And so that's why these kinds of TV shows like CSI Miami and Bones and all those shows came about, you know, maybe 20 years ago. And now, now it's more common for people to know about the kinds of scientific techniques that are available to investigators to use when they investigate crimes. That was, yeah, the only, like, forensic scientist I know of is from a TV show. But I always thought that it had something to do with, like, bodies. And I didn't know it was, like, such a big range. Yeah, it's a huge field. Yeah, so you can be a forensic something and never see a dead body. (laughs) You can be an accountant. You can be a psychologist. There's There's lots of ways to do it. So back to the kind of year gap that you took from college. You said that you were working during that time? Yeah, I had finished college, but I didn't get into grad school. And so I moved back kind of near home. I moved to Boston and, and a little spent a little time at home. And I had always been really interested in childhood education. I'd always babysat. I loved kids. And so I thought, oh, maybe I wanted to go into childhood education. And so I kind of was like a teacher's aide for a part of the year. And then I got a job in Boston, kind of a, like a clerical, you know, administrative assistant job. And at some point though, I was kind of still researching like forensic anthropology, like things about forensics. And so I spent that year, you know, kind of just, just kind of making money, but also kind of figuring out what I wanted to do. And once I, but once I learned that there was this program that basically was what I wanted, like a general master's of forensic science where I was gonna learn about all the different kinds of fields that you can do in forensics, and then I could choose one from there. Once I found that, I was like, no, that's what I, that's what I really wanna do. You were researching different, like what you wanted to do. What kinds of research were you doing? I mean, we didn't, it's a great question. Like. I mean, I guess we kind of had the internet back then, but it, but I don't like I don't I don't remember if I had a computer at home. But I think I was doing research. I must have been researching like forensics in like college. You know those big books where they have. I mean, it's just so different now with the internet. Like nowadays, oh, yeah. if I was interested in forensics, I would just stick forensic education into Google, and you'd end up with a billion things <laughs> to look at. You know, like it's so different. It's so easy, like all that information is just at your fingertips now. But I, I would say that I was very good about 
about researching about forensics in any way I could. If it was going to the library and looking up in the old card catalog the word forensics and just seeing whatever books I could find on forensics. It was an interest in looking, seeing an autopsy. I remember contacting my local hospital and saying to the medical examiner for our state in New Hampshire, hey, can I come watch an autopsy? Like, this is a field that interests me. Now, they didn't let me because I wasn't, you know, certified in anything, and they don't just let people come watch autopsies. But I just remember being very diligent about following through on some of these areas of interest. It's easier now because all of that is so much more accessible through the internet and just sending emails to people. I wrote to, I remember writing to a forensic anthropologist who lived in Oklahoma, and I wrote to him and said, hey, I'm really interested in this field. You know, do you have any recommendations for, for programs or things that I should do? And I still have his art, like his response, like he wrote back to me, this professor, this kind of famous, you know, doing air quotes because there aren't many forensic anthropologists that are famous, but he wrote back to me. And so I had sort of developed some of these relationships as I was, you know, as I was learning. And I think that that's just so much more accessible for people. I would say if you're interested in something, send an email to a person that you are interested in learning from. Because most people who, you know, are, you know, I'm 50, get to my age, we're really interested in mentoring and we're really interesting in interested in in shepherding younger people into figuring out what's going to work for them. And so the way to be able to pay that back is feels really meaningful and most people will want to do that. So I would encourage people as you're interested in things, reach out to people, potential mentors and ask them questions and show that your interest in, in learning more and you might be surprised how much they're willing to do for you. And that ties into that skill of networking that mm -hmm. other people have talked about. And also that uh, mentality, I guess, that even if, the, even if they don't respond, that's just a rejection and there are other people out there that tying in what other people say very badly. Yeah, you're right. You might get rejected. You might not get an answer from reaching out to certain people. And that's okay. That's just life. That's just part of it. It doesn't have anything to do with you as a person. So just, I would say, you know, the challenge in life, I think, in anything is re with a rejection, the most important thing is rebounding and having the resilience to bounce back and try again whether it's you know a future job opportunity, whether it's someone you wanna work with later in life, whether it's a school that says, no, we don't have a place for you, and you, that resiliency of following back up, of finding a new opportunity. I'm a big fan of mistakes, because I think we learn so much from mistakes. I'm a huge fan of mistakes. Like, I did not get into grad school. That was a big, that was like, oh, I mean, I just thought I would get into grad school. So when I didn't, it really forced me to kind of pivot and figure out a new plan. And those, air quote, sort of mistakes led me to this amazing career that I had in the FBI for 24 years. I, I wouldn't have had that if I'd gone to, to grad school there. So not even thinking of them as mistakes, but just paths that clo get closed off that open new paths. And... And so I think being resilient and not taking rejection personally is a really, really important skill set because you'll get out into the world and you'll need to deal with that every day. You know, you ask a boy out or a girl out and, you know, you get rejected. That's okay. You, 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 you move on. You try something new. Not to be scared of, of that rejection. Just to keep, keep pushing and keep trying. Yeah. So how did you get from the program I think that you were talking about about like learning about all the different fields that you could pursue in forensic science 
to your career in the FBI? Yeah. So when I finished grad school, I was living in Washington, D.C., and I got a job in the laboratory, the evidence laboratory for the FBI. In the, it's called question documents. So in a question documents, when, for example, when there's a bank robbery that happens in Missouri, and the bank robber goes in and hands a note to the teller that says, I want your money, I want mar- unmarked bills, and, and then that person gets the money and escapes. If that teller has the bank note, we could do a handwriting comparison. Let's say they found a suspect. You can do a handwriting comparison to compare the handwriting of the suspect with the note saying, hey, I want, I want all your money. It's a way to build evidence. Another example is every time you print something on a printer, the piece of paper goes through a mechanical process, right, to come out on the other end with this printed material on it. Well, there's all sorts of little, very tiny marks and things that are on that piece of paper. And so you can link pieces of paper with a particular printer. Really? So these are all different kinds. And like typewriters, obviously we don't use typewriters as much, but a typewriter can get linked to a specific piece of paper with typewriting on it. So that went on for a long time, you know, obviously when, when typewriters were more common. They do the same thing with tire treads. If there's a car that goes to a crime scene and takes off, you can take an impression of or photographs of the imprint in the mud of that car tire, and then you can compare that to a suspect's car tire later, and you can link them, and then you can maybe say, yeah, that car was at this crime scene. Same with the bottom of your shoe. Like, if you look at the bottom of your shoe, you'll see all these little nicks and marks. You might have a little rock stuck in the tread. All of that leaves a very specific impression, and so if a crime scene investigator sees a shoe print at a at a crime scene and gets a picture of it and then finds a suspect and they match that shoe, then we can say, oh, that shoe, probably that suspect wearing that shoe, was at the crime scene. And so that was the question documents unit. They did those kind of comparison. And so FBI agents across the country collect evidence when crimes happen. They sent it to this lab, and I was part of that group that, that worked in that, in that section, comparing documents and handwriting and shoe prints and tire treads. And I did that for a couple of years, but again, I didn't pass the all of the steps that needed to become a full examiner to be able to be someone who's going to go testify in court. And I would say another failure, right? That I didn't, I didn't, I don't know what happened. I don't know if I didn't study enough or practice enough, but I, I didn't make it through that program. And so I kind of sort of like not getting into grad school, I had to be like, oh, I had to pivot again. I had to be like, okay, well, I'm not going to be a forensic examiner. What else do I want to do? And in the FBI, there's lots of different kinds of jobs. There's everything you is in the out in the regular world is in the FBI, right? Because it's mm-hmm. such a large organization. So we need IT specialists and we need HR specialists and we need administrative assistants and accountants and... I became an analyst working on a squad with agents, working on a team with a group of agents. I had never wanted to be an agent. I don't know. I didn't grow up with guns. I wasn't in law enforcement. I didn't have really military in my family. It seemed like a job where they just tell you what to do a lot, which is kind of silly because that's what a job is. It doesn't matter what you do. Yeah. People tell you what to do. So I don't know what I was thinking. I was just thinking, oh, that's a job where they just they tell you what to do and where to live, and I don't want that. But once I worked on a squad of agents, I was like, oh my gosh, that looks so much fun. And so I switched tracks and applied to be a special agent, and that led me into that path. All of that is incredibly fascinating, and we are going to talk about like the skills and mm-hmm. just kind of the experiences in there later. 
But I do want to go back to, like, kind of the beginning. How did you, like, I don't know, find out, apply to, what skills did you have that got you accepted into this job? And, yeah, let's start with that because yeah. I need to formulate this You question. know, for, for that kind of job, like a forensic scientist, you you really do have to have the, most of the time, you have to have kind of that education and training that would lead them to say, oh, look, this person is, this person has the skills for us to hire and then train more. They, I was hired because I had that master's of forensic science. Now, another way to do it would be, like Oregon has a really good evidence lab, a forensic crime lab for the state of Oregon. And another avenue might be working working with them not in a forensic capacity but maybe an administrative assistant or maybe some kind of sort of lower level worker and then working your way up in that organization at the same time you go to school or that you get the on the job training needed for them to say oh we know you know this we know you know how to do this so we're going to hire you for this next level job but the FBI needed to know that I had a background in the kinds of things they were going to teach me more on and having the masters of forensic science you know allowed them to allowed them to to see that I wouldn't have gotten that job I think if I didn't have that masters someone else could could get that job maybe they maybe they worked at the Oregon crime lab so they brought those skills to Someone the who had FBI. More experience. So they had real hands-on experience, and I had educational experience. And I think that's always something that I kind of talk to people about. People will ask me coming out of college, "Hey, I really want to be an FBI agent. What should I go? You know, what should I study? And you know, should I go to grad school?" And I almost always tell them, "Go out in the real world and get a job. Go get a job in something that you love to do." maybe related to something that you studied in college and and build build your work your work personhood you know have skills in taking on leadership opportunities and working with challenging people because you know the FBI is looking for people yes who have educational skill sets but are 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 mature and have leadership qualities and so it's 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 more than just you know do you have a, do you have a degree Kind of got off your tangent a little bit on that. But, you know, essentially I got hired because I had an educational background in that very specific skill set they were looking for. And you also said something about a, like, you didn't pass an exam or something. Can you, like, expand a little bit more on that? Sure. So part of becoming a crime or an evidence examiner that could go to court and testify on the forensic evidence and procedures that you did. There was a training period that you had to go through, and then you kind of had to pass a series of written and oral tests to to show the FBI I am qualified and sufficiently trained to go do this testimony. Because that's a big deal, right? You have to be, Uh you know, you gotta be spot on. And I think back now and I just, I think maybe I just didn't study enough. I think I never had to study much in high school. And so I don't think I learned early enough how to really work hard and apply myself. And so I think I thought it would just happen. Like I could just do whatever level of studying I was going to do and that I would pass. And it was just inevitable that I would then become this forensic examiner. 
And, and I think that that is a tricky part of high school. I think it's hard in high school to learn how to study well. And I think that was something I had to learn and figure out later in life because I, you know, I just didn't work hard enough to make sure that I passed that examination, you know, phase. Mm -hmm. And when I didn't, I had to, oh, I had to take a step back and then figure out, oh, wow, okay, that's not going to happen. What else could I go do? And so is the exam like the same in all of the states or is it different depending on where you are? In that particular case, it was the FBI's training program. So the Oregon State the Oregon State Crime Lab probably has something a little different, but it's they're probably similar. They want to know that you know the factual skills that you're going to be testifying to. They want to make sure that you have can sufficiently talk and make an oral argument and explain verbally what you did as a as a forensic examiner when you received the evidence. So they're probably similar across the country, but in this particular it was the FBI's training program that I didn't make it through. You just brought up like being able to explain yourself verbally and a few other skill sets. What other skill sets would you need to pass this exam or like succeed in this type of career? Yeah, so I would say in general, I can speak primarily for for the FBI agent, but if for something like a crime scene investigator, you know, you're you know in that particular skill set in the, in the crime lab, it was very much attention to detail. So when you're examining evidence, you it's really important that you don't miss anything. So you need to be someone that can sit at a desk for kind of long periods, look through microscopes, and notice and pay attention to very fine details because those are the things that you're going to be using in any kind of forensic comparison. For the FBI agent position, you know, what the FBI wants in, in their agents is, is maturity, is confidence, is a humility that you might not know everything, but you want to figure it out, a curiosity, right? You need to be able to say, huh, that's really weird what that person said, you know, I'm not, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense with the other evidence that I know, and be curious about digging down more into that. Most of the time for FBI agents, we want people not right out of college. So if you're interested in becoming an FBI agent, then go to college and learn something, do something that you love, major in something that you're really interested in. It could be nursing, it could be business. It doesn't, you know, it probably shouldn't be criminal justice. A lot of people go into criminal justice, but we really want a very wide range of people. And so we need nurses and accountants and people who speak foreign languages. But we want you to go out and get a job and be in the working world, become more mature, become a peer leader, right? A leader of, of the people that you work with. You don't have to go into management. Learn how to handle sort of difficult work situations. And then when you're 28 or 29, bring that skill set and that maturity to the FBI and we'll teach you how to be an agent. We'll teach you how to do investigations. We'll teach you how to handle a gun. We'll teach you how to you know, take care of yourself in various situations. But what we can't teach is that, that maturity, those leadership qualities, and all the skill sets that you learned while you were out in the world working. Hmm. So you've mentioned maturity a few times and curiosity as well. And though you've kind of 
answered this question. I'm gonna ask it anyway. How do you develop the like maturity, the curiosity, and like some of the harder skills that are, in at least my mind, like things that you just like you have, kind of. I know it's tricky. They're so it's so nebulous. You're right. It's not like yeah. going out and learning woodworking where you just learn it. It's like a skill. Yeah. I think it comes from. I think it takes time. I don't think I was a particularly, I, don't, I wouldn't say I wasn't a mature 16-year-old, but I wasn't particularly, I don't remember being particularly confident growing up. I mean, I was always, I could always public speak. I never had a problem getting up in front of people and talking. Hey, same. <laughs> Good, right? And so, and so it wasn't, but there were other areas of my life where I did feel, you know, insecure, right? Who isn't insecure about the way they look or the way they act or the way they sound or what their hair is like? All that kind of stuff as you're growing up, that's just harder. So I think you, I think for me, it was in part time. It was in part, you know, having positive people around me. I've learned that if you don't, you, you, are, you are a sum of the kinds of people that you spend time with. And if you spend time with people who appreciate you, care about you, are positive about you, but also know how to say, hey, I, this is something I, I think you make, we could do better at. We need to be able to hear criticism. And so being able to you know, have, have good people around you who, who take care of you, friends and family, and being out there in the world, trying new things, failing, and then being okay with stepping back into the arena and trying again builds confidence. So as you try things and fail and just sort of move and then try something else, confidence comes from that. Because then more and more situations you say to yourself, oh, wait, I can, I can do that. I, I know how to handle mm -hmm. this. And also recognizing that life's just, you keep learning. You never, you never you're never just so confident that you just have to stop learning how to be confident. Like I still have times where I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to present relatively confidently. I can be humble. I could say, you know, I'm, I don't really know how to do this. You know, can you, can you teach me more? Because you can still be, that's a confident person, right? Who can ask for help, who doesn't need to pretend they know everything so that they seem confident. Confidence is also knowing about like what you know and what you don't know and where you can where you can learn more and being up okay with that. So it's something that happens over time. I think there's great resources out there, you know, nonfiction kind of, you know, self-help books on building confidence that I think a lot of them are are really, you know, have great little tips and tricks for for building confidence, which is sometimes about faking confidence until you get through something and realizing, oh yeah, okay, I did that. I guess I could do that again. And I mean, confidence is such a big, like, range. It's not just, like, being able to stand up in front of a crowd and say what you want to say. It's also being able to do all of those things. Mm -hmm. And I guess a lot of teenagers don't realize that. Mm -hmm. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. So circling back to the research you were doing in your gap year in between college, um... You were talking about how much research you were doing to see what you were interested in. How did you make sure that the research that you were doing and how would someone with all of the like information that they can get from the internet, how would someone make sure that what they're reading is accurate and like good for what they're trying to see? Yeah. I'm a big fan of when you start to see the same thing in multiple places, right? You can you can 
you can become more assured that that fact is is accurate. Like if you in one resource it says that this school has a really great program, you know, marine biology, but no one anywhere else is saying that. Maybe that's like, huh? I wonder. Wonder if that actually is. Maybe I need to, you know, figure that out more. But if you're seeing, you know, the same school or the same three schools pop up in multiple places, okay, that's a that's a better sign that like, okay, these three schools really are known for this kind of program. So I think that redundancy in information is a good sign that it's that it's probably accurate. But I think that what you really have to do with the internet, and particularly these days, is make sure that what you're that what you're seeing is a true single source, right? That they're not just referencing each other, because then, like, you can read a Wikipedia, but then if you read another article, but it's just referencing the Wikipedia, then that's really just one source. And I think they're doing a pretty good job in high schools of sort of teaching that kind of, you know, that kind of research being like, make sure you know what the true source of your information is and that it's different from another source that you can say, okay, yeah, these are two different entities and, oh, they're saying the same thing. So that's, there's probably a better chance that that's accurate. And that ties into our our reporter interview where she talked about how you have to make sure your sources are reliable. So, yeah. Very, very true. And that's super hard, right? I mean, that takes much more diligence nowadays than it did back when I was researching things. And, you know, it goes back to kind of being curious and caring about, hey, this this thing that this site on the internet is telling me like what's their angle? It's really important to, to dig down and be like, what's their what's their frame of reference? What is what what are they about? And then it helps me understand the content they're delivering me, it gives me context for the content that they're delivering me. What advice would you give to thirteen year old you? Hmm. I would I would say I would say Everyone, everyone in the world doesn't feel confident. Everyone has that, whether it seems like it or not. Everyone has to fake it till they make it sometimes in situations. So put yourself out there and be confident that the person you are and will be is going to be is going to be just fine. Well, that's great advice. And it kind of like ties in pretty much everything you've said so far. So thank you so much for coming out and doing this. It was really fun talking to you. It was nice to meet you too.